Hear now God's holy word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. That ends the reading of God's holy word. May he bless that.
I'll encourage you to have your Bibles open this morning to Psalm 13, which will be our text. We won't read that again. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever felt forgotten by God? Maybe that's a bit of an unusual question to be asking because we know it's not true, at least intellectually or from what we've been taught, but it can be a common experience of churchgoers. And they can feel this way and become guilty because of it. Or there may be a sense of despair. They don't talk about it because they have been taught that Christians aren't to experience this. A good Christian knows about abundant life, victorious Christian life, and they're worried that if they say anything about this, their Christian friends will look down on them and wonder whether or not their faith is real. We're not surprised when an unbeliever might say something like this, I'm abandoned by God, but if any of us should admit such feelings, many of our friends would shake their heads. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was someone who suffered from depression and at times felt abandoned by God. He spent decades as the uh, pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. He didn't always speak of his illness, and yet one time he spoke openly of his bouts with depression in a sermon that he preached on Isaiah chapter 41, entitled, the sermon was entitled, Fear Not. And he said, quote, Periodical tornadoes and hurricanes will sweep o'er the Christian. He will be subjected to as many trials in his spirit as trials in his flesh. This much I know. If it be not so with all of you, it is with me. I have to speak today to myself, and whilst I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust, to myself, for I need something for which shall cheer my heart. My soul is cast down within me. I feel as if I'd rather die than live. I need your prayers. I need God's Holy Spirit. And I have felt that I could not preach today unless I should preach in such a way as to encourage you and to encourage myself in the good work and labor of the Lord Jesus Christ. End of quote. If you feel like you're forgotten by God, then you can find someone like David talking about it. David is a man after God's own heart. And while where we would be a little more guarded in our words, David writes them down. Bad enough to think such thought, even more dangerous to say them, to put them in writing. But already David is teaching an important lesson. He was speaking about his problem. And that leads to a diagnosis of his problem. There are basically three things that we see within this psalm. Verses 1 and 2 express the questions of abandonment. Then verses 3 and 4 express his prayer in which he asks 
God to turn his face toward him. And then verses 5 and 6 describe a recovery of his trust. And so hear God's word this morning under the theme, How Long? And we'll look at this with three points. First of all, questions asked in crises. Secondly, prayer voiced in concern. And then thirdly, trust expressed in confidence. So first of all, questions asked in crises. The first two verses have four questions, and they all begin with the word, how. The first is, how long, O Lord? It's a common phrase that we find throughout the rest of Scripture. It's a well-known statement in the Psalms. Will you forget me forever? We sometimes speak of enjoying a sense of God's presence. It's one of the great blessings of the Christian experience. God is with us, and we can know this day by day. But David's experience was the opposite. He no longer had a sense of God's presence, but a depressing sense of the absence of God. It was as though God had forgotten him. Now, is that possible for God to forget anyone? It's possible for us to forget. We forget all the time. We could let information slip in our minds and out in a matter of seconds. We say, use it or lose it. But God never forgets. It's impossible. He remembers everything. Everything possible, all events, all creatures of the past, the present, and the future. He remembers every detail in the life of every being in heaven. And with the psalmist, we can say that this is indeed true. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. All information is at his fingertips. It's never wiped out. No computer virus can destroy any of it. He never errs. He never changes. Never overlooks anything. As Hebrews uh, chapter 4 says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This is the God that we have to do with. And the psalmist says in Psalm 139 again, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and I rise up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word even comes from my mouth, Lord, you know it. That's a great comfort that we can have. That God is the God of providence. Nothing is outside His control. He rules and governs this world. Even the very hairs of our heads, He numbers. Job said, He knows the way that I take. 
Isaiah, in Isaiah 49, says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I, the Lord, will not forget. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hand. Yet David asks another how question. How long will you hide your face from me? David felt that God was hiding himself from him and wasn't looking at him. He wasn't casting a glance in his direction. God was going about all that he does as God, but as though David didn't exist, for so it seemed to the king. But again, it cannot be. God has promised never to leave us. At better times, David had written these exact words. He leads me beside the still waters. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The shepherd always keeps an eye on the sheep. There are times in our lives where it might seem as though that's not true. A young mother can go without enough sleep for weeks and her energy levels are depleted. It seems as though God is far away. You may be dealing with a long-term illness and there is no end in sight. A body is weakened by cancer. A baby is born with Down syndrome. A person is trapped with a mental illness. Maybe you're looking after a family member who has Alzheimer's. Maybe you have been transferred to a dead-end job in your company and your career is on hold and you wonder, how are you going to pay the bills when money seems so scarce? And you start asking that question, how long? It seems such a frowning providence has come into our lives, and yet behind a frowning providence, God hides a smiling face. Well, David's lament continues with another how question. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? You were a happy family when you were once first married. You were happy when the kids were young. But now a prodigal brings sadness. Or God takes away someone who you loved dearly. And your life is filled with tears. Such is the trouble that can cause us to wonder. Like David who had to deal with his troubled son, Absalom, who gave him so much grief in his lifetime. And then when Absalom tragically died at the very end, it gave him even more grief. How easy it is in difficult times to take counsel in your soul. You wrestle with your thoughts. Your mind doesn't dwell on the right things. You do not have 
healthy thoughts. They're toxic. Toxic thoughts. And that affects your well-being. You start to wonder, maybe God is punishing me for what I did. He has decided to take it on my hide. And our thoughts can become dark and full of sorrow. But here's the advice from a good old hymn. God moves in a mysterious way. It says, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Don't just rely on what you see, but trust Him for His grace. All that comes from God, His decrees, His creation, His providence, His salvation, His sanctifying work is preparing for us, for heaven. And it all comes out of His goodness. Our children may become prodigals and take their inheritance and flee to a distant city never to be in touch for months or years. They hide their face from us quite deliberately. But God doesn't forget. God is in control. And then David has another complaint. How long will my enemy be exalted over me? David is a defeated believer, in his own estimation anyway. He felt like he was down for the count. There was all kinds of enemies that he faced his entire lifetime, whether it was the Philistines or Saul who chased him around for eight years. The ancient Near East was a violent place. And we also have our enemies. Back in the 4th century, Augustine studied the psalm and he thought the, that the enemy here was spiritual. And it's referring to the devil or to sensual habits of life. We can all identify with one or more such enemies, especially the, the sins that easily beset us. We forget too easily that Christ breaks the power of canceled sin but sets the prisoner free. Indeed, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And David, though not specific, was obviously concerned about this. He expressed his fear about this more than all the others, saying, My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But what are these enemies that are separating you and I in particular from the love of God? What enemy can triumph over you and be successful? Don't we read, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation triumph over us? Or hardship? or persecution, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8. So these are dark words. But David doesn't leave us with these dark questions. He shows us the way out of the darkness into the light. And that brings us to our second point, which is prayer voiced in concern. What was the answer to David's sense of desertion from God? Well, we have three imperatives that we find within the text. He says, look on me, answer me, and show me your light. Give light to my eyes. He felt that God had forgotten him. Now he prays that the Lord will look on. What David is longing for in these words is that he might experience once again in his life the Aaronic blessing. You know those words, boys and girls. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. His faith is tenacious. By faith, he holds on to his relationship with the Lord and he calls on him. It's like when a child calls on his father to look at what he's doing. And he'll literally grab the father's head and point it in the direction that he wants his dad to look. That's the picture we have here in these words. David is saying to God, look, answer me, give me light. Do you feel that God is far distant from you and you lack his presence in your life? We can sometimes have that experience in life, but we need to store up the truths of, of God's word in our hearts like a, like a squirrel who goes around and tries to find nuts to store for the winter. Because the winter will come in our lives and we need the anchor of God's word to hold us. What does James say? You have not because you what? Because you ask not. The temptation is to seek help elsewhere. Besides God looking to some other means of help. That was the problem in Jeremiah's day. God said to Jeremiah, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. And that's why James says, James chapter 4, draw near to God and he will what? He'll draw near to you. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 promises this, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
Jesus said, ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. The Lord gives strength to those who call on him in prayer. God answers. Do such things happen? Yes, they do. Can we make them happen? No. Can we rub the lamp of the word like Aladdin did with the genie that came out and gave him everything that he wanted? No. We have no need for a genie. But we have every sentence and every verse and every promise found in Scripture. And they will always be there to guide us so that we have no need for a personalized divine whisper like a genie in our ear. We need to sit under the Bible-based ministry of the Word. That's the normal divine way. God gives gifts of biblical preaching to help the afflicted. And when Christians begin to insist that such experiences must happen, that that the way of deliverance is in that way, then the stage is set for disappointment. Any neglect of Scripture will prepare us for a disappointing future. We need the light. What kind of light is this? It's the light of the gospel. We're in the darkness without it. We're in the darkness of our own sinfulness. Our sinful thoughts and deeds are against us. We need to have our eyes enlightened so that the truth of Christ and all that he has done for us fills us. God gave his only begotten Son to save us. And thus this prayer is, help me to see the Lord again. Help me to see the Lord again. Help me to find rest and peace from our sins by relying on His one sacrifice on the cross. And David adds a further concern to his appeal. If the Lord didn't help him, then verse 4 says, my enemy will say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. And the word here uh, in the original for move carries the idea of being shaken in the foundation and crumbling down. Now most of these psalms of lament are references made to enemies that are not specifically identified. And we need to read this. This is not like a personal vindication of, of the psalmist. He's speaking as God's representative. And these are God's enemies he's concerned about. He's concerned about God's glory. And that's how we need to understand Psalm 13. He's concerned about the honor of God and his kingdom. He lives in a world in which many would rejoice to see dishonor brought to God's name through the humiliation of one of God's people. But how about you today? Have you voiced your concerns to the Lord? Have you prayed in the midst of your troubles? 
we need to pray these words as well. David is praying here for the light of assurance that he might not have a little flickering candle guiding his way, but a bright torch that would shine in front of him before others and for himself. He wants to illuminate the valley of the shadow of death. And that's what we need to pray. He wants to drive his enemies away with this light. Give light to my eyes. Well, that brings us to the last thing that we see here, and that is, tr- that is trust expressed in confidence. David speaks of his confidence in God's character, but I have trusted in your mercy. He's beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And losing a sense of self-absorption shouldn't be a surprise to us that such a thing like this would happen. Have you ever had it where it was difficult to get up in the morning to come to church? You drag yourself out of bed. Or you've had a busy day at work and it was hard to make that Bible study that was scheduled for the evening. Or it was hard even to make yourself open up the Bible to have personal devotions. Then as you engaged in worship or as you came to the Lord in prayer, you found yourself being lifted into God's presence and being assured of his care. Well, something like that happened here to David where he made a a commitment once again to God in trust even when it was hard. That's what the patriarch Job also was able to express in the fierce testings that he went through. Though he slay me, yet what? I will praise you. I will praise him and trust in him. We trust in God's mercy, his steadfast love. Reminded again of God's faithful providence when we think of what we confess in in Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, it describes providence for us. And it says that we are to be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity, but also that we would have a hope and trust in the future. Why? Because God has committed himself to his children. God is faithful. He's unfailing. So rest in him, congregation. Trust him. And the Lord's salvation also gave David hope. Verse 5 further says, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. However great his difficulties, he possessed something greater than them was there. However long they lasted, he had a salvation That outlasts everything else. It's kind of like what we read about in Romans chapter 5. It expresses it in this way. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. That's the amazing way in which God works. 
Because God promises to save those who trust in Him. We learn to rejoice in our hope of sharing His glory. Real hope. Hope that sees the future will give you joy even in the worst of troubles. God's promises are so real and so big that having them changes everything. Our hope is so much greater than this world can offer with its posh lifestyle and big winnings of the lottery or anything that this world might offer us. A million dollars doesn't compare to eternal hope of a believer in Jesus Christ. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Philippians chapter 3. Or 2 Corinthians, it says, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So hope in God. God may not change your circumstances, but if you believe that His Word is true, you will be filled with joy. That's why the Lord's goodness also led David to sing. That's the way he closes it. I will sing to the Lord, for He has dealt bountifully with me. That's where we always need to go. That's where the psalmist often went. They ended on worship of the Lord, even when they struggled. If you feel like God has abandoned you, it's hard to know when that emotional darkness will lift. It's not always easy. It's not always simple. But you're not alone. You're following the footsteps of other godly men and women who have gone in that direction. And remember the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was forsaken. He was truly forsaken by his Father so that we don't have to be forsaken. He gave his life for our sins. And also remember that God moves in a mysterious way. Again, quoting from that hymn. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, but scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Rest today in God's providence. His perfect plan working out in your life, and know that he is indeed in control. Amen. Our song of response will be hymn 66, Great is Thy Faithfulness.